If you've ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and you don't see the train or it looks like it's moving slow and you're thinking maybe you could get across the tracks before the train comes, think about this. In 2018 alone, 270 people were killed at railroad crossings. 270. Stop. Trains can't. Now let's get into this week's Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh yeah, from New York, here in the Not Sam studio. By the way, I forgot to tell you guys, I can't believe it slipped my mind. It's just been such a busy time lately. Um, I got to see Howard Finkel and spend a little bit of time, a very little bit of time with Howard Finkel over WrestleMania weekend. You know, when you go to uh, WrestleMania weekend there and you check into the hotel, of course, the WWE has all the, uh, the WWE people in the same hotel over the course of the entire weekend so the people can go to Access and Hall of Fame and, and NXT TakeOver and WrestleMania proper and they have shuttles going everywhere and everything. It's a, it's a beast. A lot is, is taken into account as the whole operation progresses. And one of the things that you do if you're working for WWE is for WrestleMania only, this doesn't happen at any other show, but for WrestleMania only, they actually take over one of the big rooms, like a, a ballroom type room in the hotel and they turn it into a green room. And this becomes the room not only where people can go and and meet up before they head out to whatever signings or whatever shows or whatever it is that they have to do uh, WrestleMania weekend, but when you're checking into the hotel, instead of going to the normal front desk, you go to this green room. Uh, and so I, I went in, and over WrestleMania weekend, I, I got to Brooklyn on the Thursday, and I checked into the hotel and, you know, they, they also have a little uh, gift bag where you get a WrestleMania t-shirt and a sweatshirt and a, a gym bag that says WrestleMania on it. And you get your hotel room keys and find out where your room is and you do the whole deal. And you get a program. That was very important to me because this year, it was the second year in a row that I was featured in the WrestleMania program. But the first year that my beard was featured in the WrestleMania program. So a big time to be the last professional broadcaster to say the least. But there he was. Sitting right there as I checked in, he himself had grown a, a, a nice fluffy beard, living in the lap of luxury. Howard Finkel was there. Um, and, you know, Howard, I guess, has uh, gone through uh, some health problems as of late, but he was in super high spirits. He was saying hi to everybody. He was just hanging out in the green room. Uh, everybody was coming up to see him. We were chit-chatting, the whole deal. Uh, and it was really, really great to see Howard Finkel again. I haven't really spoken to him much lately just because he's been going through what he's been going through, but the tales of Howard Finkel's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, he's doing great, and uh, he was really, really upbeat, and it was really great to see the man, the myth, the legend, uh, and the individual who I think at the very beginning, when not Sam Wrestling, you know, whatever it is, 230-some-odd uh, episodes ago, when Not Sam Wrestling was Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, I think that the first thing that added credibility to this show, beyond the fact that the last professional broadcaster was present, uh, was that Howard Finkel's voice was on it. You know, I, I don't think that Howard has done a lot of that for a lot of people. And I always really, really appreciated it to the point where when we redesigned the production for this show, when we made it, uh, when we made Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast officially Not Sam Wrestling, 
The only thing I insisted was that we keep the original elements of Howard Finkel's voice just because it's something that I'm 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 so honored to have as part of the show. So it's really, really cool. And it was great to see him. We're going to get into a lot, uh, I promise you, this week here on the podcast. Of course, the entire state of wrestling still to come. Um, I will uh, talk about uh, my commentary debut, main event, came out this week. It, it hit Hulu, I think, on Thursday or Friday. Um, and leave it to yours truly. A lot of controversy was drummed up. I will talk about it in the bridge segment this week after we listen to the interview. My interview this week is with none other than the man who is the owner and the the head of WrestlePro. His name is Pat Buck. Pat Buck has been on the podcast before. Uh, when we went for the Patreon-exclusive uh, all-in post-show, that's at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Pat Buck was my co-host um, and added a, a major, major perspective on that whole thing. But Pat started... I mean, he's a wrestler by trade, and he still wrestles super, super actively for a lot of different promotions, especially here on the East Coast. But Pat, uh, he runs a company here on the East called WrestlePro. And he started, you know, he was in WWE's developmental territory, I think uh, Ohio Valley, way back when. And it just didn't pan out for him, and he went and he went on the independents, and it was, you know, it was going okay, but it didn't quite have that oomph that he thought it needed to have, and he ended up starting his own promotion. Um, and he's also, he runs Create a Pro alongside Kurt Hawkins. It's their school, but even before that, he was running a school uh, there in New Jersey. Um, and I think it's been amazing to watch this guy go, because not only has WrestlePro been super successful as a, a local promotion uh, here on the East Coast, they had a couple of big, big shows um over WrestleMania weekend, uh, they do a lot of business with Impact Wrestling. You know, a lot of talent gets exchanged over there. WrestlePro is where uh, KM, Kevin Matthews, came from. WrestlePro is where Fala Ba came from. MJF, who's been on the podcast and just signed to All Elite, was trained at Creative Pro and came from WrestlePro. Uh, tons of guys. Tons of guys have come through those doors. But I was really, really interested because Pat made the announcement a few months ago that WrestlePro was going to run Alaska. Now, I didn't know WrestlePro to run anywhere outside the East Coast. So for them to just make the big announcement, hey, we're going to Alaska and we're bringing Mick Foley with us, I was kind of uh, mind-blown by the whole thing. But the show went down this weekend. I was following along with it on uh, several different Twitter and Instagram accounts of WrestlePro and the people associated with WrestlePro. Um, and I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was an amazing thing for wrestling and I thought it was an amazing thing for these guys to be able to take independent wrestling uh, outside of the city, of the town, of the state that they're used to performing in and take it way up to the deep, deep north, Alaska. So Pat literally just got off a plane this week. He just got home uh, from this show. So I reached out to him right away and I said, Pat, I would love to hear about your experience here on the podcast. And I think that the Not Samsonites would be fascinated by the whole trip so we're going to get into all of it. We're going to get into Alaska. We're going to get into what the, uh, what, the, uh, what the crowd looked like in terms of how many people were there, in terms of how they reacted. We'll talk to Pat about his wrestling career and a whole lot more. My guest on Not Sam Wrestling this week is none other than the buzzkiller, Pat Buck. Let's get to it. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. Back on Not Sam Wrestling, fresh off of a trip to Alaska, he is... The owner, the head, and a star 
of WrestlePro. He is the buzz killer. He is Pat Buck. Pat, what's the haps, man? A lot's changed since I've been uh, been here last time, so I think we have a lot to talk about. And Alaska is probably the most interesting thing I could talk about. It's certainly the most recent thing, right? Yeah, I just got off the plane yesterday, so. I mean, it was pretty nuts. So I heard, of course, you know, WrestlePro is kind of the little company that could. It's your, mm-hmm. it's your, uh, you know, and we talked about it when you kind of were first starting WrestlePro, that that was your way of going, you know, it looks like, I'm not getting a ton of opportunities in the world of wrestling to make a full-time living. Mm-hmm. So you got to this point where it was either invest everything and just go for it and do wrestle pro and create a pro and and create create this thing that can make a full-time living or go and do something else and and this thing has paid off for you huge to the point that like a couple months ago I started seeing stuff online that you were like, you know, nobody's really done an independent wrestling show in Alaska. Mm-hmm. I should be that guy. Kind of. Yeah, that's exactly right with the whole how I started promoting and, and switched from being a wrestler guy to promoter, booker, trainer guy. It was Part of it was for survival, where it was like, hey, I can stay in this. When I left early, when I left FCW or, or early NXT, whatever you want to call it, I went back to the independent scene. And at that time, it was 2012. I don't think it was the animal that it is today. And I was wrestling for a lot of places that were not rewarding. I couldn't, you know, I had no... And coming off of FCW in 2012 is certainly not coming off of NXT in 2019. Sure. Like, it's two different. Every, the whole world, I mean, it's so weird that 2012 was really not that long ago. But the whole wrestling world was a completely different space. Everything has changed. Everything. You know, it's changed from three years ago, to be honest. So at that time, I went sort of wrestling for a lot of places, and I didn't have a lot of input. I wasn't really happy with, you know, um, I loved being in the ring, but there were just so many. You know this as a wrestler in, in any business, that, that the in-ring part's a fun, fun stuff, but everything else was just a drag. And I said, I don't know where my career is going to go, so let me try to put on one show and one show turned into i think 180 right now but see that like that's so interesting because you go you know everything that's not in ring is such a drag how do i control the stuff that's not in ring i kind of got to be the guy in charge right yeah yeah 100 so at least i can uh, well i just kept you know for those people that eventually start their own thing or are thinking about it you you have these thoughts like man i think i can do this a little bit better and i started having those thoughts you know i hate to be somewhat arrogant but sitting in ovw locker room for so long after just wrestling a four or five minute match on tv and having all that time and i'd be like hmm i think this would be a lot better and i would never speak up about it but all these thoughts over the years and all these different locker rooms i went you know what let me stop thinking about it let me just try it so that led to you know the first show and then people thought i was crazy to start training school because at that time who are you? You're just a guy that spent some time in developmental. Why would anyone want to train with you? Right. It's not like the, you, you're putting a name on the marquee. Yeah. Right. Not a TV star, not a Hall of Famer, not whatever. You, at the time I was, you know, I was 27 years old. Why mm-hmm. would I want to learn from you're kind of a failed wrestler? And I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of. But here's what I do know in the ring. And that led to, I think, Creative Pro has one of, if not one of the top, if the not the top training schools in the country between New (laughs) Jersey and New York. Well, all of a sudden you went from like that story to also, yeah, I I run this school uh, with my partner Mm -hmm. who's one of the Raw Tag Team Champions. That's true. Like it's (laughs) such a weird, because Kurt Hawkins, like, and uh, the school that you're describing was before Hawkins was involved, 
But even when Hawkins gets involved, yeah, this is when he's not in WWE. Sure, yeah, because right. I mean, and that's another thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, Hawkins was cool in WWE and he was an edgehead, but at the time, we don't know or quite frankly think that he's going back. Yeah. So it's like, okay, again, I'm, I'm. It's not like he's this giant, massive star. It's like, but he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're having Pat Buck and Brian Myers now evolving your school into Create a Pro, and all of a sudden, Russell Pro does what Russell Pro does yeah. alongside you. Hawkins ends up splitting away, going back to WWE, but Hawkins does what Hawkins does, mm-hmm. and you're left with this monster. Kind of, yeah, pretty much. And it's, but it just goes to show you that if you're passionate, that the reason why we hung on so long is passion. You know, uh, when Hawkins was released from WWE, like he had so much passion to go out there and be like, "All right, I'm an indie brother now. I'm doing everything." And that led to, you know, we started the school a little earlier than that because he came to my school and was like, "Man, I love this. Let's open one." Okay, cool. Let's open one. So we did that, and I think him and I being around and being so passionate about wrestling 24 hours a day has led to, I think him and I both have had the wildest month in pro wrestling. You know, this month has been absolutely crazy mm-hmm. and, and rewarding. And now we get to look back and go, oh man, all those sacrifices, all, all those investments are are worth it. And yeah, now I kind of, you know, he's still very much involved in Creator Pro. Uh, WrestlePro is kind of my own thing. Um, but as far as the training schools, you know, everything's been pretty good, man. Yeah. And, and you know, and you got, you're, you're really quickly too, I feel like, we talked to MJF when he was here, uh, right? It was like the week before he announced he was doing AEW, and he said, "Oh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing." <laughs> but, uh, but, like, you already have somebody like that who's a graduate of Creative Pro to be mm-hmm. like, the results are already showing, and it's not been in business for all that long. Yeah, we've been around, I think, five years. I've been training people seven years, and that was another thing where over time people come down to the school and they go, "Well, who's in WWE that you trained?" And I go, "Nobody." Right. You know who who's done this or that, and I'm just open and honest. Where I'm like, look, there's gonna be, but a lot of times, a lot of these wrestling schools would be like, hey, we're responsible for this guy just because a guy trained there for a week, or maybe he came there for three months. To <laughs> it's season. like those comedy barkers in Times Square. They're like, you like Dave Chappelle? Come to this comedy <laughs> club, and you're like, Dave Chappelle's never been to this comedy club. That's exactly how it is. <laughs> like they've been through the building or took a picture in that building, and or somehow you know someone started there and and it's the wrong mindset I, I tell people I want to check out my school hey come watch a class that I teach and you decide if it's for you or not so um, but luckily this year things are changing where a lot of our guys do have NXT tryouts mm-hmm. MJF signed with All Elite Wrestling um, I was just told yesterday that one of our uh, most promising students has a tryout coming up for in in July for the Performance Center so it's it's that's changing too a lot of our guys are all over uh, Wrestlemania and and Big Dave Batista's entrance and and carrying Velveteen Dream to the ring and whenever they're up here, uh, WWE is really relying on Creator Pro, which is awesome. Yeah, it was cool to see that whole weekend. Yeah, you know, checking on uh, Miz and Shane McMahon as they crash through yes. uh, 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 MetLife Stadium and everything. Um, so, you, how does the opportunity to run Alaska pop up? Because Russell Pro is not a touring group, right? I mean, it is in the sense that maybe locally. We have no backers. We, we're truly independent wrestling. Right. Like, yeah. you're just sitting there, and you are making the call to get the building in Rawway, to get the building over here, to get this building over there. But, like, outside of New Jersey, New York area, have you run 
I mean, how many shows have you run outside New York, New Jersey? Not many. There's been a couple in near Philadelphia. Uh-huh. There's been one or two in Connecticut. And right. That's really that's really it. So then you go. Well, you know, we could try the Midwest. We could try the South. Ah, let's let's try Alaska. Yeah. How exactly. does this come about? <laughs> well, to break that down too, just because you have such a smart fan base that listens to the show, and they hear independent wrestling, and they think of, I guess. Every almost every promotion outside of WWE they consider independent wrestling. But the thing is that right. a lot of these places have companies backing them. Where you know, true independent to me is it's one guy or a family just backing and, and paying all the bills and trying to make it work. So and when you say a family, you mean a traditional family, not traditional like family. the Khan family, for no. example. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would love if some sort of you know NFL team would like to back WrestlePro right. more than open to that. Because technically WWE is backed by a family. True, very It true. just happens to be the McMahon family. But most independents are backed by people who are working full-time jobs to support that independent promotion. Right. So that to me, that's the spirit of independent wrestling. So same thing with WrestlePro. It's just me, um, for this show in particular, the way it happened is... Like uh, you're kind of running a show so that you can pay for the next show. Yeah. And the next show. Pretty much. And the next show, and that's... It's like if one show crashes, it's going to hurt and won't put us out of business. Yeah. Like, oh, man. You know, three shows that are bad, yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> so, so that's it. Kind of. After five years or however many years it's been... Three bad shows, Th- and you're toast. Three high, bu- oh, three high budget shows. Yeah, we're gone. That's it. We're 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 completely gone. So the way this came up was so, uh, we, which leads us to yeah, it's a good idea to run Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, got it. Everything was has been a coin flip in my career. Everything has been take a chance, or you know, when I went down, not to keep going back to the past. But, you know, I was never offered a contract with WWE. It was kind of, hey, move down to OVW, Kentucky on your own dime. Take that chance. So I've taken chances, and some of them have failed, and some of them paid off. You know, doing the show, I had whatever money in my savings account to put on one professional wrestling show. It was that or put a down payment to go back to college uh, or to go to grad school. And I went, ah, let me run this wrestling show. What would you have gone to grad school for? I wanted to work. I wanted to be a physician's assistant. School's always been really easy to me and and. I wanted to work in the health field somehow, and I thought doctor would be a little bit too long, so I wanted to work somewhere where I could, you know, um, work in the medical field. But Mm -hmm. I went to, hey, let me put on a pro wrestling show in the rec center. Put on a wrestling show. It's exactly it. Mm -hmm. So, but with Alaska, I heard about this, uh, I, over, as time goes on, I've been really blessed where I'm actually being used by a lot more companies now, and between working and producing and coaching, that my time with WrestlePro, I've been pulled away a bit. So I've had to rely on, you know, different people. One of them being KM from who was formerly with Impact Wrestling, one of my best friends. Uh, he's kind of the booker for WrestlePro now, and he was loves Alaska. He goes there. He he enjoys it. And oh, really? Like he vacations? He, he well, he went there once last year. <laughs> right, right. And he just fell in love. <laughs> fell in love. Okay. And then we heard about this wrestling show 15 years ago that ran in Alaska that did very, very well. Mm-hmm. That had like Road Warrior Animal on it, a couple of ECW guys, and apparently they like rocked the place and they killed it. And I, we started looking into it and went, WWE goes there maybe once every five years. And I looked at it from, he's like, do you want to do a show in Alaska? I'm like, eh, I don't know. But then, Did you look at like what WWE draws, that they only go there every five years? Did yeah. they do well or did they only do okay? You know, I think they do very well, but I think the big thing with Alaska, the problem is travel and the unpredictable right. weather. And you can only run within a certain, uh, you know, you can run any month, but you're running into problems right. when you're running. So that's, you know, April and October were ideally the ones that were 
the best months where there's not a lot of terrible weather or from what we hear. We've, and we also hear that um, the, the busiest times of year for them are winter and summer because people do migrate there. But for the cost of the arena, all these, the, the numbers attracted me to Alaska. Mm -hmm. I looked at that and, and luckily I've been blessed with, I know how to do this financially. So I looked at it like the building was very affordable compared to, you know, New York, New Jersey area where everything is expensive. The only burden was travel. But what we did was really, we did our homework. So we teamed up with a local promotion there that does run shows. They run, you know, there is Alaskan wrestling, believe it or not. There's, they, not to level of other places, but they do their best. So we teamed up with them. So we had the equipment, we had boots on the ground. Um, we had so a lot of- So you didn't have to like figure out how to get a ring to Alaska, for example. That was the biggest fear. So yeah. there's only one professional wrestling ring in Alaska that was was not even- There's one ring, one in, the, ring. in the state? One <laughs> ring. And we found it, uh, and we we worked in it. It was a 16 foot ring. The guy built it from scratch. Yeah. It's so, so it's not like it, like somebody crazy went and got one from high spots no. or something like that. It's a guy who built a ring. He built a and ring. that's Alaska's ring. That's Alaska's ring. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's absolutely amazing. And I, that was my biggest concern. My biggest concern is okay. Like it was a couple days before the show, and I'm like, we have all the talent in town. I just picture there being no ring, and I picture rolling out like the blue mats, like a Nikolai Volkov YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what are we gonna do? But but the ring was there, and I was blown away. It was really nice. it was a little bit of a stiffer bump, and the ropes were a little thinner, but it was a decent but it had ring. ropes and it had mat. ropes and it, and, and it, it was a ring it yeah. was it was well kept so you know and uh i'll put the promoter over his name is matt plant you know he raised a lot of local sponsorships people went whoa what is they saw the poster like we want to be involved so there's more sponsorships on that show than any show i ever ran in my life you know we had budweiser and the army we had all these different things that helped contribute and get uh, cut a lot of costs, so it to me it looked like a worthwhile venture. And you brought up Mick Foley. Yes, that's the big, big, big name that you brought up, right? Yeah, it was. We knew that we had to go in there big. We couldn't just do, hey, we're running wrestling. No one would come. So Johnny Impact came, right? Johnny Impact, uh, Ty of Valkyrie, right? Uh, Hornswoggle. We also had you know Janella and MJF, Cabana. And all of our local guys, you know, well, I hate saying local guys, our WrestlePro regulars. We we wanted to make that too. We didn't want to just be like, hey, we're going to put on a wrestling show. Part of the pride, and I'm glad this happened, is we, you know, we brought our own crew out there. We flew them out. We paid for their hotels. We paid for their... That's nuts. It was nuts. And it was very scary to go, well, you know, And that's not, I mean, you would know better than me, but I, in, I feel like that's very atypical that a promotion would decide, okay, we're going to run in Alaska and then fly their regulars up yeah and post them up in hotels like that, that doesn't it's not gonna happen right it know? doesn't happen even for me now i love being out there in the indie scene i realize i got to get myself to a lot of places because it not that promoters are cheap they're not it's just there's no money from it right so the it, cost is crazy but i would also imagine that your guys number one that builds like crazy it's got to build insane loyalty to the brand of wrestle pro from the guys as if they didn't have it before mm -hmm. they're like oh because you know, it's it's about from the, what what's happening at the top because that's what really rolls down. Yeah, and the fact I think I would imagine if I'm a if I'm a local wrestle pro regular, and I don't really have these opportunities, I'm not getting flown to Alaska anywhere by anyone. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, you know what? I'm 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 down for wrestle pro, and then I find out that you are not only booking Alaska, but you're like, I want the wrestle pro regulars there so much so. That I'm flying you guys, and I'm putting you up in hotels, and I'm doing this. To me, that makes me go, I'm going to bust my ass for WrestlePro. This guy believes in it this much. Mm -hmm. He's treating me like a star all of a sudden. Yeah. 
I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be a star for him, right? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I never thought of it that way, but I, 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 I guess that is true. You know? I would hope so anyway. I just looked at it like I looked at these guys that they deliver on my shows and, and they just haven't had the platform to really uh, – have the light shine upon when the light is shine upon them they'll they'll accelerate they'll rise but I, I knew that it was just important to have our brand of guys up there because if this does become a regular thing which we are going to run alaska again <laughs> is that they have to be familiar with our talent they can't walk in and just expect well who, what what's going to be the hodgepodge of whatever i bring up there let's see these guys that we saw you know really kick butt last time and and get them over and long term for WrestlePro, even on a local level it's one thing to say, oh, Pat, the guy who promotes these shows, also promoted a show in Alaska. It's another thing to say, no, this brand that we watch in Rawway, New Jersey, mm -hmm. those the brand, the guys, the everything took that show to Alaska. It makes it feel like a promotion. Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly it. And it was it was scary, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty open with things. We had a 7,000-seat arena. I knew we weren't going to fill it. Ticket sales were eh, and we, we had 1,300 people there. So, you know, for the highest attended event I ever ran was like 1,600. So that's, but the thing is there is that 1,300 people in Alaska, when you compare costs and all these different things to New York, New Jersey, is really equal to like about 4,000 people if I ran a show in, in, in Rahway. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, these different things, these different math and, and, and just figuring out all these different expenses. But it, it worked, there was a small profit, wasn't much, but enough where we're like, oh, we pulled this off. Everybody had a good time. We didn't lose our butts. We we made a little smidgen of money. And hey, let's do this again. And now we know what mistakes not to because we made mistakes. So now we know what to do and what not to do when we go back there, which I think we'll go back there in December. Wow, that soon. Yeah. <laughs> so like in six months. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. We'll get back to it in a minute, but whether you want to go to shows in New Jersey, New York, Alaska, wherever you want to go, there's always something happening. And it's always some it's always something that you want to see. It's a place where you want to be, but the problem is that getting tickets can be hella complicated. The industry hasn't changed in forever. It's a bunch of big companies, they've been around nonstop and they just don't care about making the experience easier for the customer. Well, with more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, SeatGeek is clearly a ticket company that puts the customer first. Look, They've been such a loyal sponsor of Not Sam Wrestling for so long. I think you'd be a fool not to give them a try. It puts millions of tickets from all over the web, uh, rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, displays them on an interactive seat map so it's easy and it's simple to find exactly what you're looking for and everything that you do. Every purchase you make, fully guaranteed. Shop for tickets with confidence with SeatGeek. I have the app on my phone. It is so easy to use. You can use it as a tool just to just figure out what's playing in your area. You can look up uh, uh, bands, sports teams, comedians, Broadway shows, wrestling shows. Whatever you want to see, you can find out when it's going to be near you or where it's going to be in general. Then you look it up. You click on it, it's a seat map, you boom, 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 I want this seat, I want that seat. Is it green, is it yellow, is it red? That'll tell you how the value of the deal that's in front of you, but you gotta give it a try. Get tickets to anything you wanna get tickets to with SeatGeek. Best of all, my listeners get $10 off. Their first SeatGeek purchase when you use promo code SAM, S-A-M. SeatGeek supports the show. 
so you should support them. $10 off your first purchase of concert tickets, sports tickets, comedy tickets, wrestling tickets, whatever you want when you download that app and use the promo code SAM, S-A-M, on SeatGeek. Now back to Pat Buck. So was there any panic? I know like, and this is on such a lower scale, but when I'm doing my live shows, my live podcast and whatnot, I love doing the show. Mm -hmm. I hate putting them together because I have ticket anxiety Mm. for like weeks leading up to it like it's it's on my like it's just somewhere in my brain at all times especially when like and i don't even ask what the pre-sales are and then they'll email and say like hey you think you go and do a little more promotion because the ticket sales are this and i go like oh it's even lower than i thought and it always ends up fine yeah that's because people come to the door and people like i've never had a show where i look out into the audience and i'm like oh this was even every show i've ever done has been like oh this is Thank God. This is so much better than I thought. But did you have any moments of panic for this show yes. when you're looking at the pre-sales? Oh, God, yeah. Because I, I remember early on, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm an optimist, but I'm a realist. And, and my, my booker, KM, is an over-optimist to the point where he's like, if we sell out this building, the gate is like $313,000. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I don't think we're going to get there. <laughs> but, you know, let's let's hope. And we set these goals because we've been promoting the show for about eight months. So we're like, okay, maybe by like January, three months before the show, maybe we'll be at like 1,500 tickets. And we were really at like four. So it's like, and in my head, I'm like, do I pull the plug? Do I move forward for this? But then part of the, it, it, it's, if you have, if you're running your own thing and, and you said it the exact same way is there's overly, this, there's always going to be this overly panic. And then when it happens, you're like, okay, it worked out. Yes. So I just kind of have to trust in that. And it's like, but I also prepare myself. I always think what's the worst case scenario. And I go, okay, that's going to happen. I'm going to lose this amount of money. Uh-huh. So I convince myself that this is going to happen. And then when it slowly starts getting away from that, I go, okay, thank God. And right. it's, it's kind of it. It's over preparation. We could have done a way better job. I think we did a really good job and it worked out. But, you know, if it would have been a loss, I still would have probably looked at it as a success. But luckily, it, w- it was somewhat of a financial success. Right. And all you really, I mean, as long as you're not losing money, it's worth doing. I mean, the the idea that you guys are running Alaska has a value in and of itself, no? I think, I think the big thing is, and I want to prove myself, there, there's a lot of other companies out there outside of WWE that they they may not be doing so well and their budgets may be overinflated and i think it's kind of alarming and also rewarding that two jabron wrestlers from new jersey uh put together this and put on a profitable show bringing up all their own local talent mixed with a hall of famer mixed with tv talent to alaska and can turn profit why can't other companies do this yeah you know what i mean like so that's kind of there's so many companies out there that have this good exposure or they have a network or they have things behind them and I guarantee you they're looking at their budgets and show after show they're losing money and it's it's something's wrong with that so I think what I wanted to prove was that if you have the right people in charge of things wrestling can be booming and big business but most of the time it's not it's not happening so part of that was I just wanted to prove that again like hey we're doing this how come other places can't or or even on the independent level where there's so many shows that you just hear about just cancel you know, they're running in their home area mm-hmm. and they're panicking on ticket sales and they just cancel and screw over all the guys. It's like, it shouldn't happen. If we can do this in Alaska, why can't you do this in your home area? Right. You know? No, that makes total sense. What was what were the fans like? I mean, was there this thing? Because I would imagine that Alaska is one of the places that gets talked about where there's so little that comes through there that 
there's they they become the 1300 that were there must have been like super passionate because how often is there a wrestling show in Alaska they were they were starved for it it was interesting too because you work a lot of places and you see they are I don't want to say kind of like a southern crowd but you could tell that most of that whole crowd was there to see McFoley like the, his line was endless they own which by the way if you're McFoley has to feel great because you know I look he's a legend but he's also out there, right? Like yeah. he does a lot of signings. So sure. I'm sure some are crazy successful and he's probably had some that are not as successful. So to go to Alaska and get reminded like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm the legend. I'm the hardcore legend Mick Foley. Sure. Like this is the impact that I'm still having on people it has to be amazing. And I love Mick because he's one of those guys that I mean, you can put him, he's in the top 10 of anywhere really of all time. You know, in my opinion, as far as what he's done for wrestling and he's still accessible to take this risk with and, and he wanted to be up there because he's never worked Alaska before so this is on his bucket list it's just so cool that that he's still thinking on those terms you know a, what I mean that a he's... couple people have reached out they're like I never worked Alaska I have to and I'm like alright maybe next time I'll get you on but sorry <laughs> you know the the crowd was so different in the fact that they you know I was listening from the first match on and you do an arm drag and they were receptive to it and I'm like oh I haven't I haven't experienced that in a while where you know you're you're in front of these bloodthirsty crowds and these independent scenes and you have to do you know I'm doing twisting tombstones to get a reaction right so they were so passionate and so much fun and that 1300 people really did sound like it was a sellout they were so loud and and you know the last match which I, uh, I was lucky to headline my own card, put myself in the internet. <laughs> but it was me and MJF versus uh, me versus MJF versus Janela with Mick as a special enforcer. And, you know, we were doing kind of ridiculous stuff with which, weapons and which, stuff. Which, by the way, is perfect for the Buzz Killer character. Yeah. Because you take the two guys with the most indie buzz. And, exactly. And you go out and you kill it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you go out there and we're doing, you know, we're doing doors yeah. and staple. And, and this crowd is like, what are we seeing? We fought through the... We fought through the crowd, and, and to us, it's like no big deal. You do that on a lot of shows. You just fight through the crowd. Once we crossed the guardrails, you could just hear the panic and excitement of the crowd. It was like, WWE doesn't do this. It was like an old school like <laughs> Japanese deathmatch crowd if, when like Leatherface would come out into the audience, and they'd all run and scurry. and they, well, they Or were like a Bruiser Brody sp- match. Yeah. yeah. It was just wild. It was wild. And the, the show was like three hours, so I think it's on the longer side. And while we're doing promos at the end and just kind of thanking the crowd, you got the feeling that these people didn't want to go home. They just wanted to like hang out and chill and thank you for being here. So I really think the next time we go back there is going to be, you know, I expect all those people plus one, I hope. But it was it was it was definitely one of the most passionate crowds I've worked in front of ever in my life by far. And it's kind of pretty like amazing that you just said you figure out early. Oh, we can just an arm drag gets a reaction. We really don't have to Mm -hmm. go above and beyond. But the two clips I saw from your match, one of them was. (laughs) stapling an autograph McFoley 8x10 to MJF. Yep. And the other was a tombstone off the top <laughs> rope onto a door that was not perched on the second rope. Two doors. Two doors so perched we, on the second okay. We had a door on the... Again, I, I'm losing my... I, it's weird. I, I kind of like this random, hardcore, crazy wrestling these days, even though I'm a traditionalist with, with all my wrestling stuff. But... You know, we put a door on the, on, the, on the bottom rope and then another door on the second rope. It's like, hey, <laughs> how about a tombstone through both of them? I remember looking at Mick a couple of times and he's just, when you see Mick Foley look at you like, 
I think you got you're you're kind of crazy, man. Like there's two times I looked at him, and he was just like, "What are you guys doing?" To impress him, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, that was like, well, and he even said to us, he goes, "You know, I give you guys a lot of credit." He pulled us all aside after. He goes, "A lot of the guys in the situation would look at the crowd and go." You know, let's let's just get by. Right. They'll eat up everything, which is what you just said. And you guys went out there and are, you know, do wrestling very hard, but also throwing in the extra, you know, because a lot of people think that's the stuff like the stables and the thumbtacks, but they're appropriate if you put them in the right sort of story of the match mixed with hard hitting stuff and and character stuff. And we got Sako in and we got all these things. You know, <laughs> they go. What was the Sako reaction like? Pretty, pretty loud. Yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty loud. Definitely was. Uh, yeah, it was it was deafening. So. It, it, it just worked out. We, we wanted to work our butt off to prove. And I think I know the fans there were like, what are we seeing? And I think that's what won them over. We haven't had a bad review on the show yet. So it's been it was it was definitely one of those like spiritual things that I'm, I'm so glad I did. When did doors become the thing? Like I noticed that the, <laughs> the tables, you know, and, and, and this is to me, I feel like the indie wrestling that you were talking about that actually has backers and has people behind it's not really independent mm-hmm. they use tables yeah. real indie wrestling uses doors that's true doors doors are the new tables and when did that become and why because i think it's always should have been a thing i don't know if in ecw they ever thought about doors because i remember i overheard Heyman saying this that like tables have always been expensive yeah. They've been super expensive just to get those wooden cafeteria-like tables that snap and break. Because it's not like, and and I don't know if people, I, I think the people who listen to this show are aware enough of what's going on. But I think growing up, you go like, oh, you know, they probably have ECW is grounding up their own sawdust and making these like <laughs> fake tables. No. or whatever. And you're like, no, they're going to Home Depot and buying a whole bunch of tables before a show. And what changed was Home Depot and Lowe's, they switched from those types of tables to the plastic folding tables. So they're not in existence. Oh. Yeah. So you go online, believe me, any promoter listening to this knows knows the strife of trying to find tables. And occasionally one will pop up on Amazon for like 60 bucks. But most of the time, they're like 140, 160 bucks. Wow. So I think the plastic tables really, you know, they, they, so they, they put to bed that. So they're like, what else do we do? And someone somewhere said, let's get a door. And doors are like 50, 60 bucks, 40 bucks. It's about the size of a table. It actually makes better noise. Uh-huh. Um, it's a little bit, sometimes it can be heavier or lighter, but you know, it's so funny because fans are still at, we want tables. And it's like, sorry, here's your door. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully doors get out. I'm going to try, I, maybe I can get doors over on the indie scene more. I'm surprised that like Home Depot, especially in indie towns where there's a lot of wrestling mm-hmm. jersey and, and and new york and places like that i'm surprised that they don't realize how much business there is in like <laughs> table wooden tables double-sided ladders like all that stuff you would think that they would stock it at least for the weekends oh that's so funny you know the double-sided ladder i never i actually learned that from bruce he, he when we had him up here for wrestle pro he, he goes Hey, go to Home Depot and you can customize a ladder to be, you know, double sided. And I went, they'll do that for me. He goes, yeah, it's the same cost. As long as they know that you're going to get it, they'll make it for you. I'm like, I did not know that. So I need to get those uh, double sided ladders. Yeah, because if you that's and that's the other thing. Like if you see a double sided ladder on an indie show, I know as a fan, it's impressive. I go like, oh, <laughs> this is legit. Because then again, I go back to my little kid thing and I go like, oh, they, I guess they have the Wrestle Pro Ladder Factory where they make their own ladders too. Because that doesn't look like the ladders that I see. It's so true. It's yeah. these little detail things that make you appreciate wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, so the Alaska show was a was a big success then. Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's a success for anyone that took part in it, the fans. Um, it seemed like morale, like I follow a bunch of, of you guys on Instagram and Twitter and everything. 
And it just seemed like everybody involved with the show was just so excited about doing it. Yeah, and we're we're a real brotherhood. We're all friends in real life. So it's kind of just, you know, we're a mix of up-and-comers and then other guys that maybe kind of in I don't want to say they're in a twilight but they're just like this is where I'm going to be wrestling and, and that's it and then a couple guys that could be signed tomorrow right mixed in with you know a lot of our some of our guys do work you know MJF is signed here Falaba is signed here so like you know and and also a lot of you know it's funny a lot of the, the people that work for other TV companies they have a better time with WrestlePro than they do their own that, mm-hmm. and I hate to say that but that's the truth because we at least were you know you're going to have a good time if you work for Russell Pro. It's, and you're never going to be put in a situation where you're like, oh, I hate this. We're, we're, we're pretty easygoing. Well, so. that's kind of the mission statement of the company, right? That's why you started the company. Kind of, So yeah. that it was not so miserable when you weren't wrestling. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we're always going to have our issues with, you know, people that don't want to, you know, uh, maybe not want to put people over or the regular stuff that happens yeah. in wrestling. But for the most part, it's it's an easygoing locker room and, and they have granted me enough respect where I call the shots and the people listen and uh, it's worked out so far. So I'm hoping to bring it. I really want to run a show in every single state. That's the goal. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, do you, I guess that's the sort of macro level goal, but after Alaska happens and it's a success, Mm -hmm. I guess apart from this idea, like, okay, let's plan on going back in December. Do you, immediately start thinking like okay well what's the next big thing that we're gonna do i can't just sit here and be the guy who went to alaska once i want to do hawaii now you do i really do and i'm hearing that there is an independent promotion out there (laughs) and they have two rings in hawaii hopefully so (laughs) you have to go to the right island though yeah 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 yeah. but i I hear there is an independent wrestling promotion out there and i think if we just go hey look what look what i did for alaska i can bring this here i can bring this roster here and pull it off you know, if not, I'll I'll find maybe Montana or Wyoming, just something something weird and different where it goes like, oh, that's kind of cool. That that's really all. It's about the stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm having enough fun doing my thing as as a performer in other companies with my own. I kind of want to do something different. So, go yeah, I mean, to random places. And how many of these? How many independent promotions are going with the traveling circus? business plan i mean i don't think any no they 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 get you know they find their venue they put on their good you know most are about content and 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 buzz in their own thing and we've kind of done that but kind of we're more of a live event thing and it it is to me a circus so let's try to run you know north dakota and and nebraska just just so we can have it in conversation you know what i mean like that's kind of it's just having fun and being weird and and it's cool for for the the guy the wrestlers on the show to be able to be like, no, I'm working North Dakota this weekend, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they never like, like you said, they're going like, okay, I'm a Russell Pro guy, I'm a New Jersey independent Russell Pro mm-hmm. performer, and to be able to go like, oh, I can't this weekend, I'm working North Dakota, it's like, <laughs> it's so great. It is cool, it right? Is really, really like, cool. It's 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 amazing. Um, well, man, and and I've noticed too that you're you're getting way back into wrestling. Yeah. Like I saw the promos that you started uh, putting out on Instagram and whatnot. That's why I referred to you as the as the buzz killer. Sure. Uh, which I love because it kind of leans into this idea of like, look, you're being realistic. Like there's all these guys out there with all this buzz. Where's this guy going to end up? Where's this guy going to end up? You have focused your attention on more of the business end of this mm-hmm. stuff. So you go, okay, well, if I want to be in that conversation, but I'm not one of those guys on that list, why don't I be the guy that wants to... Destroy the people that are on that list, right? And to be honest, okay, so I started doing this. Per- I, I realized things are different this year, and I want to be something just lit up where I said I want to do as many matches as I can. I because there. there was a time when you told me, you were like, I don't think I want to do matches anymore. Pretty much. I right. just wrestle for myself. But what changed so much There was changed. even a time, I, I think, 
when you were like, I'm going to do like a couple matches for WrestlePro, but I don't even think I want to wrestle for WrestlePro anymore. The, I just want to be able to put these shows on. Yeah, I, I thought that the end game changed where I saw myself, you know, just trying to launch WrestlePro and promote shows and work behind the scenes more. And then as I saw things expand this year with All Elite Wrestling, with, you know, MLW blowing up, Ring of Honor expanding, all these different things happening and, and WWE even expanding everything, uh, I just went man like part of something there was a couple weekends where i was at home and i wasn't running a show and i was just on the couch and i went like i can't do this anymore i need to be out there i need to be in the ring and it the truth is i base this persona it's completely real you know because i've had you, you just heard me talk about a lot of success with promoting and stuff like that it eats away at my soul the fact that i didn't get to a certain level as a performer mm -hmm. i didn't get the recognition that i i really rightfully believe i deserve and I see all these people. I love the fact that, you know, my students are signing somewhere, but there is going to be a part of my soul that went, how come you were never there? What happened? Yeah, like what? what is that? I would imagine that a lot of this is based on even the people who aren't necessarily your students, like you talked about Joey Janela, who we've had on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Like while he's not necessarily one of your students, you were running shows when he was just a young kid. Yeah. And now you're watching people like him whether they're your students or not, progress and seeing like, oh wait, like for the people who stick with this and get good and find themselves and create personas, like this is happening for them. It's happening for them. Like I said, the end game changed where I went, wow, like there's a lot of stuff out there. So I had these ideas to put down, like maybe I could be this, this I, I there's a part, I am pretty optimistic, but there is a part of me that's very, very bitter. And that's what's motivated me to, to, to keep with wrestling so long. And something lit up and I said, I'm in the ring more than most people I know at the training school. And I've, I've never been out of shape and I've always kept up consistency and I know so much. And it bothers me that there's you know so much buzz out there and I never got it for myself. So mm -hmm. let me be the buzz killer and go you know, work a different style and be a little bit more aggressive and, and hardcore in what I do. And, and what was different and mind blowing and so awesome is that NXT's changed the game. They've changed the game in terms of now what you do before WWE matters. Like, it's yeah. part of your story. So when you go there, people are aware of what you've done. And because of that, I feel like whatever you do in the independent scene now matters. And what, what what's crazy is that I truly believe that my story as being a long-term, somewhat, if you can say, failed performer that did everything he was supposed to do... It, there there may be a couple of those out there but i don't think to the degree of what i went through and so i think by especially putting, but but especially because you can still go yes like a lot of the people <laughs> with that story like you could bring them in to tell that story but they're done yeah, yeah the reason that they're finally admitting their failed performers is because they're not they can't do it anymore yeah and and, and, I, and I have a soft spot for a lot of those guys too because there's so many guys that you know that i know of that could have been you know main WWE roster people or big stars and something happened or they, they didn't get their break or whatever and i feel like i'm almost representing them like i'm the, the echoes of these unheard people that never got their their due and maybe they should have so all of this is very true it's very motivating it's the is the essence of my character i want to go against these indie darlings i want to you know okay you're you, you get all this internet buzz i've been doing this 17 years on a pretty high level let's see if you have what it takes to compete with me so what's crazy is I started reaching out to promotions before those videos dropped. And I thought maybe people like, yeah, okay. But a lot of these promotions were like, whoa, you're wrestling again? Okay, 
come on and and I, I work for like you know 15 of the some of the best promotions in the country now and and I'm and there's so many things on the horizon that I'm going to be debuting for that I, I didn't think that the, the rest of the scene would have the respect that uh it's almost like it's, it's actually paying off I have input in locker rooms I'm trying to get something going in wrestling for the first time there's never been something like a player coach and I'm trying to create that in pro wrestling where I can be this guy that goes to these places work with talent and contribute behind the scenes as well so right so when you book me for a show i'll do the match whatever we'll do the thing i'll mm -hmm. promote it on on social media we, i got the character blah 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 but then also once i'm there i'm gonna get there early yeah and we're gonna you know and i'm gonna be that guy that's kind of uh sharing wisdom with the locker room yeah. and, and training and and doing everything and, and and more so and there's a lot of guys out there that try to help the locker room but i really try to find what's best because i'm doing it now like i, I found what's best for wrestle pro so i have this you know, I'm not one of those cutthroat guys. I believe there could be success for everybody in wrestling. And there's a place for most places focus on. I like focusing on the undercard. I like focusing on the tag team division, just different things that um, I'm very adamant about producing and coaching. And that's kind of what I what I think a lot of these promotions are bringing me in for, too. It's it's a mix of, hey, go out there, have a killer match. But also we need some people back here to to to, to regulate, you know, and 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 make this a better promotion. So that's my job now. I mean, I think this is happening all over the place. We had Mark Henry here on the show like a few weeks ago, and he said, and I had never even heard of this position being a thing, that his one of his new roles in WWE is to come in for the pay-per-views and just make sure the locker room is where it should be. Wow. And just okay. kind of be that that guy. I don't know if mentor or motivator is whatever, but just kind of make sure that everybody's behaving themselves in yeah. such a way and that the industry is in a place where where it's healthy for not only the people that are working in it now but for the next several generations yeah you got to check the pulse of every locker room you could have things that you know if you're not you know i know how to deal with a lot of conflict in wrestling because i've been through it as a promoter as a talent whatever so you know there could be issues it could be someone that doesn't want to i'm in locker room sometimes where they're, they want to do i don't want to say too much in the match but they they want to squeeze in 25 minutes worth of stuff into an eight minute thing and that kills the show because they go over time then there's times where I meet guys that don't want to do anything in the ring. They don't even want to take a bump. And there, there's just a way to kind of check the temperature of a locker room and make the card different. You don't, want, you don't want the first match to do the same thing as the fourth match and figure out a way where you know we can deliver the best product that we can. So having a position like that is just super important, man. Yeah. And do you find, too, that maybe getting away from WrestlePro and going into these other promotions and realizing that there's this big respect for you it kind of lets you know like oh like what i've been doing is being noticed because kind of when you're when you're in your home base mm -hmm. you don't necessarily you're not necessarily aware fully of the effect that it's having outside right you stay in that wrestle pro bubble you do. and it's like you're just working towards the next show working towards the next show and that mentality of the mentality you had when you went through the first show and said you know people think i'm crazy for doing this mm -hmm. kind of sticks with you until you get outside of it and go like oh people really respect what's happened here they do well the ones that pay attention do because like there's a lot of locker rooms i go in and i can re i see that the there's you know half the people are aware they'll talk to me about things they're, they're aware. i'm aware of most of the talent when i like when i when i get booked on a card i know a lot of the guys in the locker room i'm aware of their, their story where they come from where they're going and i find that the people that i kind of know they're attentive and, and they know about me but there's also half a locker room that that's they're just there once a month Mm -hmm. So I try to find like the like-minded people, and now that I'm out there, I'm actually 
trying to get out there so much where I'm actually going to bring in a lot more um, independent talent to WrestlePro. So, and then also I can compare. I tell my locker room, I go, hey, this is where we're better and this is where we're worse. So I right. get to kind of go, hey, I saw this at, you know, CZW or Limitless. I saw this at these different places, and I think they do this a lot better than us, and this is where we need to improve. Or I could be like, hey, you guys are doing a great job. Just so you know, it's not the same out there, but don't stop doing that. Were you surprised? And I, I mean, I say CZW just because you brought it up, but say a CZW or any promotion like it that would, you know, I mean, I remember... You know, when I was when when Jersey All Pro was around, or or even you know right after that, that like there was real war between promoters, and yeah. not like like the type of war that like we can't do storylines here mm-hmm. because there's we are trying to sabotage these other shows behind the scenes. We're yeah. trying to do a lot. Like when you go out there and like you're going to other people who primarily do shows in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Philly area. Mm-hmm. Are you kind of surprised that they're not like, oh no, you're a rival promoter. We're not gonna we're not gonna put you on a show. That they're like, no, come come I, do a great match. I think in Jersey and New York, we've got so used to people just running so much, we don't have a lot of that. But right. let's just say Pennsylvania, Philly area, there's some of that going on. There's some of that going on in the Midwest right now, the Chicago area, mm-hmm. where people are you know telling their performers you can't wrestle here. I just read that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's things there's things like that happening in you know there's some in New England I'm aware of where you know if you work one place you may not work for the other. It's unfortunate, you know. And but there's also it's not so black and white where it's like oh we should be allowed to work everywhere and it, it's also not black and white where you know the promoter should have the ability to, to tell you what they want to tell you, but there's a way we can all work it out yeah. really. And not just be, but unfortunately a lot of places don't think the way that I do or, or, you know, cause, cause in a way when I first started, I kind of thought that way with a lot of things, not to the, well, I get where, the the business end of it where you're like, well, we're trying to get people, even if it's not about, you know, uh, being vindictive about another promotion, there is that side where you're going, well, we're trying to get people to pay tickets to see the people performing at these shows. Mm-hmm. If you're performing at every other show in the area, you know what good does it do if I put you on the poster if they just saw you? One hundred percent. And the same thing with storylines. If you start yeah. going to one of these really, you know, there's some great promotions out there. There's there's like AIW and Black Label Pro and AAW, and there's all these a like great place beyond all this stuff. They have a lot of great storylines. So if you can't commit to month after month because you're taking all these bookings somewhere, mm-hmm. that does throw a wrench into their things. And a lot of times, a performer doesn't value that. They don't put enough thought into, oh man, I'm really affecting this promoter's vision. So that becomes an issue. There, it also becomes an issue. I've ran into things before where, you know, we, you run a show on the same night and someone's like, hey, can I do both shows? And you got to work your card around where totally. put them on second match so they can go on main event there. And I'm flexible with that, but I've noticed most places aren't as organized and they may not be. So that becomes an issue and you take it out on the talent and then more things happen. So, you know, independent wrestling is not perfect. It's still rough. It's still incredibly difficult to get out there. But, you know, it, it it's just the way it is it's it's unfortunate have you had any matches lately that you're like oh man that was an incredible match and then go oh i wish i'd done it in wrestle pro there's been match so i'm so i'm learning i'm just learning that every single independent wrestling promotion is different that every single crowd expects like there there's sometimes where i went in that there's a match i did recently where i thought it was a good match told i hate saying tell a story i hate when people say that but like it's just if, Why? Because I feel like it's so cliche. Yeah, yeah, When yeah. people say tell a story, it's like, what does that mean? Right. You know, I, yeah, when people are like, well, we were trying to tell a story in the ring. What story was it? And then they can't tell you what the exactly. story was. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and working <laughs> someone's arm, to me, is that really a story? You just, well, you, right. you, you beat well, up the arm a, for a little bit. It was a story of a guy 
whose arm hurt. <laughs> You're going okay. It's just so, such a thing that people like rely on. I just it drives me nuts. But anyway, like had a good match where it, you could follow a lot of things. But then looking back, there wasn't enough. I hate saying this. There wasn't enough moves in there. There wasn't enough, and that promotion needed these moments because they rely heavily on internet clips and different things like that. So even if I'm having this story that you know, getting over these characters, it doesn't make for the most appealing internet clip, which is what they rely on. So I got to work a certain aggressive, almost throw psychology at the window and and do the hard hitting stuff here. And then other places are completely character based where they don't care about what you do in the You could hit, you know, all these different drivers and, and moonsaults and strikes. But if you don't have a character, you're not going to get over there. And if you're not going to, if you're going to do this style here, the promoter's going to see that and probably not book you anymore. And if you do this style over there, I see. So that's the issue. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. So I'm, I'm going to these places and went like, okay, that's how I work here. And now I realize, all right, that didn't work so well. So when I go back there, I'm not going to, I have to put on a different hat. And I, it's kind of a new learning experience for me because some, all these indie places are so different. So you never know what to expect. Which is great too. It's also amazing to me that, that the fan bases of some of these uh, independent promotions because there was a time where it was it, like they didn't have an identity where it was just like this is just an I'm going to go to an indie show this weekend and you go to whatever show's running around you. Yeah. But the fact that you have such brand loyalty now that crowds audiences have expectations mm -hmm. for you that are different based on the shows that they're going to shows you kind of how loyal to and aware they are of the brand that they're watching and how good these promotions are getting yeah. at figuring out, okay, before we know, you know, who do we have booked? Who are we as a promotion? Okay. Now who are we going to put on the show? Yeah. And you know, a, a big indicator of that was WrestleMania weekend when you had so many shows up here and you're all fighting for, you know, attendance and different things like that. And you can see the, the, the every hard, every fan that listens to this, you, every promoter, every fan, every wrestler, has a certain taste for wrestling. Yeah. You know, not most of them are not all encompassing. They like their particular, st you know, there's a lot of wrestlers that frustrate me that become, you know, power players eventually. And they only really like or appreciate the style that brought them to the dance. Mm -hmm. So when they see a different style be successful, they're not kind of warm to it. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's whatever. I wish we could see past that, but that's how, that's almost the same thing as fans where, where certain fans go, you know, I put on a comedy show WrestleMania weekend called, you know, does funny equal money yeah. with all comedic acts. And some fans are watching this on fight TV. Like, I don't get this. Why can't we have a normal match? It's a comedy show. Right. You know what I mean? How can you not? And then other people will watch hard hitting, you know, all Japan wrestling or, or, or very aggressive style. And they either love that or they want some want more characters. You can never satisfy everything, but it's cool that, at least all these independent places, they're finding their identities. They're finding out, okay, what's our crew of guys? Who are the right guys to bring in? And a lot of places are doing fairly well, which is awesome to see. That's amazing. Well, I don't know if you can hear Lila upstairs, but that's the alarm. <laughs> um, uh, Pat, man, uh, I'm so happy that uh, you're, that the success is just, uh, it keeps happening and you keep kind of finding it and taking risks and it keeps paying off. Uh, where can people find you, find WrestlePro, and what's the next thing that we want to, inform the folks of yeah i think of you know i'm on social media buck never stops i don't know what my future holds kind of cool that i'm kind of bouncing around and you know i have three matches this week and then i go to a certain place and i'm going to do something here and, and i'm working for a lot of major companies and and um when that stuff i don't want to be the person like hey look at me but it'll be it'll get out there eventually so um i'm i'm after you know 
17 years of, of ups and downs and stuff, I'm hoping that it, that it, that it continues on an upward path and I can kind of help out other talent and just keep growing and find some more success. But WrestleProOnline.com and CreatorProWrestling.com, if you want to start your careers, and I guess just all my social media stuff to see where I'm going to be wrestling or producing or coaching or, you know, uh, I, I just all things wrestling, man. That's awesome. Create create a pro, wrestle pro at Buck Never Stops. Thanks as always, man. It's been great. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Here is Sam Roberts. Hey, thanks to Pat Buck. That was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we talked about social media and WrestlePro using social media. I think one of the best examples of social media that I saw, I mean, all week and in some time and something that's getting overlooked a little bit, I think, is uh, Alexander Wolf. So Alexander Wolf goes on Twitter. And I guess this is a spoiler because I don't think it's aired yet, but it was all over the Internet. So um, I guess, you know, if I tell you what it's a spoiler for, the spoiler will have happened. So a spoiler is on the way. Uh, Alexander Wolf goes on Twitter last week and is saying goodbye to Sanity. And he's doing that because Eric Young's been drafted to Raw and he makes it seem like he's leaving. You know, he doesn't really speak for what Killian Dane is doing. Um, doesn't really speak for Nikki Cross at all. He just makes it apparent that he's leaving. And you're almost going like, oh my gosh. Is this him asking for his release the same time that uh, Luke Harper was asking for his release? You know, all this stuff is going on. And so you're going, oh boy, and the world is talking about Alexander Wolf and how much they don't want him to leave and, and all this stuff. Well, come to find out, at the NXT UK TV tapings, Alexander Wolf shows up and he goes on Twitter to announce he never said where he was going. He's not leaving WWE, but he's certainly leaving SmackDown for the greener pastures of NXT UK. And I just thought that that was such a great swerve and such a great use of social media. I don't know if somebody put him up to it. I don't know if he thought of it himself. But I just thought it was so well done. So kudos to Alexander Wolf. I thought it was so cool. Speaking of social media, uh, leave it to your boy, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, to uh, cause a stir. You know, uh, I, I was in Montreal last week. Superstar Shake-Up Night. That's where we taped main event. And I did commentary, WWE commentary, for the very first time in my life. You know, I had a couple of matches to shine, and I tried my best. It was uh, uh, Dana Brooke versus Tamina, and it was Heavy Machinery versus the B-Team. The episode is available on Hulu. Um, I didn't, I had no idea how much controversy that I would cause. Look, I, I've said this before about all the kickoff shows that I've done, and, and the feedback that people have had on those and when I say feedback I mean the negative feedback WWE asks me to go in they said look would you like to come do commentary for main event I said I would love to do commentary of course I'll do that anytime you want and so I go in and and they say you know don't worry we don't want you to be a, a WWE commentator we don't want you to be that, you know, we want you to just go on, be Sam Roberts and simply give your opinion. That's all. Just give your opinion. Don't worry about trying to sound like anything you're not, you know, you're a guest here. You've never been in the ring. Just go on and let us know what you think of the people that are in the ring and what they're doing. So I went in there and uh, I said, not the most nice things, flattering things in the world about Dana Brooke and her uh, wrestling abilities. Look, 
I didn't realize it was a crime for Dana Brooke to not be your favorite WWE superstar in the world. If you're not rooting for Dana Brooke, then all of a sudden this is, you know, this is catastrophic. I had no idea the delicate nature. I had no idea uh, that, that, that the people watching would be so sensitive, so, so delicate, that, so fragile, frail, that this would be an issue. You know, I was uh, accused of everything in the book, that I was disrespectful to Dana Brooke. I was accused of being a misogynist. Um, that, that apparently I only run my mouth on the women of the WWE. They brought up Bianca Belair again. Look, a couple of things. Number one, I'm not apologizing to Dana Brooke the same way I didn't apologize to Bianca Belair, okay? The day that a person cannot go behind a microphone in the WWE and speak their mind about what they're seeing is the day that maybe... I'm not the guy that should be behind a microphone. The only reason to put a microphone in front of my face is because you want to hear what my opinion is. So that's what you're going to get every time there's a microphone in front of my face. As far as the accusations of misogyny, that's just absurd. Absurd. I mean, anybody that thinks I haven't gone after people, I mean, Bianca Belair, Dana Brooke, yes. I've also gone after Finn Balor. I've gone after Johnny Gargano. I've gone after Matt Riddle. Uh, uh, I said Seth Rollins had zero chance of winning. I said all kinds of stuff. I just give my opinions when they're asked for. I mean, if you keep watching that episode of Main Event to the second match, I wasn't saying exactly glowing things about the B team right now either. As a matter of fact, I believe my quote was that they should call the B team the C team because all they do with any consistency is capitulate. Now, I'm sitting here and pointing out the consistent nature with which the B team capitulates. I would say that that is just as bad as anything that I've said about anybody. And it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's my opinion. These people go out there and they perform publicly in the ring. So what am I going to do? They put themselves in positions to be judged. That's what you do when you become a public figure. The same thing, reason that I would say if any of them said, well, here's what I think of you as a commentator. Fine. I don't care. I put a, I talked into a microphone for television. Everybody's allowed to have whatever opinion about me they want, but this idea that I should not be going out and giving my opinion is ridiculous. It makes it makes no sense. You don't think if it had been No Way Jose in a match instead of Dana Brooke that I wouldn't have said the exact same thing or spoken along the exact same lines about No Way Jose? I mean, come on. What are you looking for? You should have seen my Twitter mentions this week. They were ridiculous, ridiculous. But no, this is what happens. WWE says, hey, come, just give your opinion. Say what, however you feel. Okay, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about this because when you say, just tell me how you feel, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. Then, that's it. No more. Whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. I'm not going to think about gender. I'm not going to think about ethnicity. I'm not going to think about race. I'm not going to think about any of it. I'm going to think about the fact that I'm watching two superstars compete, and I'm going to tell you what I think about those superstars as superstars. And that's what I did, uh, and that's why I can't imagine you would ever hear an apology from me, but I appreciate everybody that took the time to watch it, whether you liked it or not. Uh, and hopefully I will get the opportunity to be a guest of the WWE uh, again in the future at some point because I just... Love it. All right? All right. Let's move on to this week's State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. 
Here we are. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's State of Wrestling. State of Wrestling 235. Let's get right to it. Of course, it's the top five stories of the week broken down, according to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. By the way, I was thinking about it. I think that this week, Charlotte and Bailey may have had the best match of the week. I think after all the wrestling that I saw this week anyway, all the wrestling that was on television, I think Charlotte and Bailey might have had the best match of the entire week. All right, let's get into our top five stories. Speak, And this is one of the things, All actually everything here happened this week, obviously. That's why we're talking about it now in the state of wrestling. It's a topical segment. Um, Bray Wyatt is story number five. So... The answer of what was with the vulture puppet in the box? Who was that talking uh, witch doll thing that we kept seeing pop up in vignettes? It was all answered. It was Bray Wyatt and the Firefly Funhouse, I believe is what it's being referred to. Uh, Bray Wyatt debuted in a vignette uh, as a new character. And I think, you know, it was interesting. I was looking at the feedback on what this was, and it felt like when it originally happened, when it aired live on Raw on Monday, it felt to me like there were a lot of people going like, what is this? This Are you kidding me? What is he doing? What are we trying to pull off here? And then as time went on and within, I would not even say 24 hours, I'd say within 12 to 18 hours. Just about everybody had turned around. You know, I didn't post anything about it until the day after. And I was actually surprised that there were a few responses to my tweet about how this was uh, the the Bray Wyatt that I didn't even know I had been craving. There were a few negative responses to that, which surprised me. You know, I think that uh, this is exactly what we should want out of Bray Wyatt. You know, I think Bray Wyatt doing a run-in or Bray Wyatt trying to uh, recapture any of the magic that the Wyatt family once had uh, would be for, for not. It would, it would be um, a fool's errand for Bray Wyatt to do something like that because I think that the, uh, the Wyatt family has moved on, and quite frankly, the damage has been done to the Wyatt family. I, don't, I think that if we saw him come back and it were at all felt like it was going to be the same as it was when he left, we would sit there and go, you know, no, this isn't going to work. It didn't work the last time. Uh, I think that clearly there is some kind of a plan here, which isn't always the case with stuff. But clearly, I think as you watch, you go, okay, well, they ran vignettes for about three weeks leading up to this and then hit right into the Bray Wyatt uh, kids TV show host with a chainsaw thing. Uh, Clearly a story is being told here. You know, as I watch this, I say, okay, sometimes we, when we watch WWE, we worry that maybe the people telling these stories, the people writing these stories, I should say, not the people telling these stories, but the people writing these stories may not know exactly what they're telling or may be ready to change at a moment's notice. I think it seems to me that there was a clear plan for Bray Wyatt here. I think it's clear to the people that wrote it. I don't think it's clear to any of us just yet. But I think it's cool, you know? I mean, it brought me back to the days of, like, uh, the rumors that Mr. Rogers... I mean, it turned out the rumors weren't true. But you all heard it as a kid, that Mr. Rogers had, like, Vietnam tattoos under, on all under his sleeves, and that's why he was always wearing the cardigan and all kinds of crazy stuff. What if there was a dark and demonic side 
to this children's television host that you're watching. You know, I think that there's there's tons of potential in that. He's building a world around this new persona that plays into the world that he had built before he left. So, you know, I don't... Uh, I don't know what, you know, and it could work out terribly, of course. You know, we don't know. We don't know the answers. Sway, we don't know how it's going to work out. But I don't think there's any reason to not be optimistic or not say it's cool what's going on with Bray Wyatt or not say it's different. I feel like a lot of times that uh, when you can't immediately tell where something's going or you don't immediately go, oh, this is cool, he's my new favorite guy, that people get turned off by that, that there are some people that get turned off by that. But to those people, I would say, you know, patience is a virtue. You have to be patient and wait and see what's going to happen here because there is no reason in my mind for us to feel any way except, you know, this could be really good. And this is what this is. This is an opportunity for Bray. Something that we've been waiting for Bray Wyatt to get for quite some time. You know, I thought that it was delivered well, and I'm interested to see where it's going next. And that's the whole point, right? I want to tune into Raw next week and find out what's going to happen. I mean, excuse me. <coughs> I must be allergic to the truth. Uh, it might have been the best thing on Raw this week. My, I think it was the most compelling. It's the thing that I'm interested in seeing what happens next. And I think that that's very, very crucial in this world of uh, professional wrestling. Speaking of what happens next, we go to story number four. Story number four is what's happening next with Dustin Rhodes. It was announced this is a another AE dub signing. It was announced that uh, Dustin Rhodes uh, is saying goodbye to the Goldust character forever. He posted a video on Twitter in which he put a uh, severed Goldust head, which I didn't know existed. If I had, I would have had one. I have a Goldust ring-worn bodysuit on a mannequin in my studio and it's just got a regular mannequin head. If I knew there were severed gold dust heads lying around, I would have slapped one of those puppies on top of this thing. It would have looked amazing. Hopefully I can still get my hands on it. Maybe not the one he had in the video, because the one he had in the video has been locked away inside the chest of the forgotten for for life for a lifetime. Along with that t-shirt. But Dustin Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes remains. So uh Goldust is no longer with the WWE. I guess the contract is over. Um, and it was announced this week that not only will Dustin Rhodes or Dustin Runnels or however he's going to be known, not only will he be at StarCast, but at uh, the AEW inaugural pay-per-view. Some people think that All In is the inaugural. I don't. I mean, it wasn't. AEW was, it, All In was a specialty. All In was the predecessor to the inaugural AEW pay-per-view. The success of All In led to the creation of AEW. AEW's inaugural show is Double or Nothing, and one of the big matches at Double or Nothing, it was officially announced, will be Goldust, or I'm sorry, Dustin Rhodes or Dustin Runnels versus Cody. It's going down, and, you know, I think that that's amazing. You know, I think that AEW at this moment has the ability to do almost anything and for people to respond with that's cool because they haven't screwed anything up yet you know everything that they've done has not been screwed up once they start screwing up is when people are going to start looking at them with a speculative eye however 
as long as everything they're doing is succeeding and everything they're doing works and feels uh, reasonable and feels uh, organic, I think people are going to continue to be excited about the potential. AEW is generally looked at with a lot more optimism than WWE is because WWE has several decades of succeeding and several decades of screwing up as well. AEW has had the people associated with AEW have had a couple of successes and zero failures. So when you're when that's your batting average, people are going to assume that there's going to be home runs, you know. We've seen Goldust versus Stardust before, and that wasn't I don't think what it could have been. However, that's not Cody versus Dustin. That's not at uh double or nothing. That's not under AEW, you know. I think that uh if there's anything we've seen uh, with Goldust in the WWE, it's that when he got clean and when he kind of cleaned up his life, he seemed like he got a new motivation for wrestling, for being in shape. And, you know, it was every time he would have a match, somebody on commentary would talk about uh, the Benjamin Button rule applying to Goldust in the sense that he just somehow, as he gets older, only gets younger. Uh, and I think that, that Dustin Runnels has everything to prove come all or nothing. I think that Dustin Runnels needs to go out there and prove that not only can he still go, but that he can go without the Goldust character. You know, and I think that that he's wrestling a new Cody. This is not the same Cody that played Stardust. This is a new main event caliber Cody. Um, and so I think that there's a whole new backdrop behind this match. There's a whole new layout. There's a, whole, a new sense of realism to it. I hope that they go further. I hope that they start talking about how Dusty was there for Cody, but not so much there for Dustin. I hope that they go into Cody being jealous of Dustin because Dusty would blah, blah, blah. Let's get real. You know, let's get into the reasons why brothers fight with each other and why resentments build and maintain throughout adulthood. Why have a brother versus brother match if not to do that? Um, I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm interested to see if Goldust is going to paint half his face red like he does in the video. Um, but I also think that until AEW screws up, fans will remain optimistic, as they should, for what's going to happen. Um, speaking of what's going to happen again, or what did happen, uh, we spend a another story outside of WWE this week and a certain return. So it was in... Uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, an independent wrestling show by a promotion uh, known as uh, uh, MKE. Yes. Um, yeah, MKE. I don't know what MKE stands for, to tell you the truth. MKE Wrestling. Um, Milwaukee something or other. Let me click it and see if I can give you the answer. Um, um, uh, no, I don't know. What MKE, maybe it's just Milwaukee. Maybe MKE is short for Milwaukee and it's just Milwaukee professional wrestling. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is that uh, this is, uh, 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 what's his name's, uh, 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 Silas Young's promotion there in Milwaukee. And a masked man came in, I believe on Monday, and interrupted one of the matches, hoisted one of the stars up on his shoulders and dropped him head into knee for a go to sleep. Now there have been stills taking of this image 
And the face behind that mask, the eyes, look very familiar. I was just on the Squared Circle Reddit subforum, and I saw a photo that somebody took, and the eyes looked very familiar. Silas Young tweeted out, Here is some punk running in a match last night. Uh, MKE Wrestling. You never know who's going to show up at our shows. Former world champions have been stopping in at the last couple shows. Don't miss May 17th, blah, blah, blah. The heavy rumor... And at this point, I believe it to be true based on everything that I've seen. Nobody, I haven't spoken to anybody about it that uh, would have any point of reference. But everything that I've seen, I would believe this to be true. That the man behind that mask was CM Punk. Now, uh, in 2015, when Punk was uh, training for MMA, he was asked whether he would uh, contemplate returning to the world of professional wrestling. And he wrote, you never know. I could pop up here and there. Let me explain that even better. It's not going to even be televised. I'm going to be in a ninja effing outfit wrestling one of my buddies and nobody's ever going to know. It's going to be very Monty Python, so to speak. So he's had this fantasy in his head for a while of showing up and wrestling under a mask. Now I'm going to tell you, uh, Robbie from Barstool Sports, Robbie Barstool, He tweeted out that CM Punk has done this before, that he's done run-ins at independent wrestling shows and just never fessed up to it, and he's done it under a mask. Now, um, I went to San Diego Comic-Con several years ago. I don't remember the exact year, but CM Punk was there with the WWE. Um, I want to say it was CM Punk, Sheamus, and maybe one other person. I went there with Jim Norton, and we were doing interviews. Um... And we went into this, uh, you know, uh, right above the Mattel booth, they had uh, built this private box where you could go inside and there was actually room to hang out. It was like a, a green room that they had basically built. And we interviewed the superstars and everything and talked to CM Punk and hung out for a little while. And then CM Punk put on a green cloak and an alien mask that covered his entire head. And he spent the rest of the afternoon walking around Comic-Con, completely dressed as a green alien. And nobody ever knew that it was him. There was no photos. I took a photo with CM Punk in the alien outfit. Maybe I should uh, tweet that out uh, today for Throwback Thursday or something like that just to share it with you guys, at NotSam or maybe at NotSamWrestling on Instagram. But he wore the alien outfit and he walked around the floor of San Diego Comic-Con. It's a giant convention floor full of people, nobody ever knew it was him, no photos ever surfaced of him wearing that outfit, nothing. Nobody ever knew. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe at the time he might have been with Lita, and I think that Lita was also wearing one of those alien outfits, if my memory serves correctly. So the idea that uh, CM Punk would don a disguise in order to just go and do the things that he loves is not foreign to Mr. Phil Brooks. Uh, I do not think, however, that this means that he's poised for a return. I do not think that this is necessarily good news for AEW. Now, can I sit there and tell you that CM Punk is not going to wrestle for AEW? Absolutely not. It would not, to tell you the truth, shock me if he did. Because I think that AEW would set something up for him where, first of all, he would be the biggest star for sure in that organization. Right now... I would argue that Chris Jericho is the biggest star in that organization, followed by Kenny Omega, and then probably Cody and the Young Bucks. 
That would probably be the order that I would put them in. Yeah, that it would go Chris Jericho. For me, I believe it's Chris Jericho, then Kenny Omega, then Cody, then the Young Bucks. That's the order of uh, the biggest stars, I think, in that company right now. If they were to get CM Punk, he would skyrocket to the very tippity top of that list. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he doesn't do anything. A lot of that would have to do with the fact that we haven't been able to see him, and it's actually increased his star power. Um, however, I still think that that's unlikely. If I had to bet, will it happen within the next year or two or not? I would probably bet not if I had to bet one or the other. I wouldn't be altogether shocked if I lost money on it, but I would probably bet not, that it would not happen. Uh, and I don't think, what I don't think is that CM Punk potentially putting on a ninja mask and running into an indie show in Milwaukee uh, has anything to do with his future plans in AEW. I don't think that this is a hint. I don't think that this is anything. I think that this is something that Punk thought would be a fun thing to do, that Punk thought would be funny. He's probably talking to Silas Young, saying, imagine if I just jumped out and wore a mask. Like, could I do that? Oh, yeah, of course you can do that. And boom, there he went. And it got Silas Young the press that he wanted, a lot of mystery around it. What was it? Could it have been? And that's it. CM Punk will probably never talk about it, and he'll show up at some other indie, random indie show at some point later on and maybe do it again if he wants to get that itch out. But, you know, he's now he's training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He, he always talks about wanting another MMA fight. Like, I just don't, I don't see it happening because I feel like he knows that if he were to, he can't get back into wrestling for a night. If CM Punk were to get back into wrestling, he'd have to get back into wrestling. And I don't know that he wants to. If he did, it would probably be for AEW, because in AEW, like I said, he would be far and away the biggest star. He could call his own shots. He could do whatever he wanted, right? He wouldn't have to deal with anyone or anything. Uh, so that's where I think he would go, but I don't think he's going. I don't think so. Um, We'll go to story number two. And, you know, I was contemplating with putting this on the list or not putting this on the list, but I want to combine it with everything that's happening at Money in the Bank. So the Money in the Bank card really started to fill out, which was pretty quick this week. And I like that, they're do that they did this because I think that Raw and SmackDown did a lot of good work this week starting to build stories. What had happened was, what ha happened was, uh, we had WrestleMania be the culmination of everything. The Raw after WrestleMania was kind of just the hangover of that show. The Raw after the Raw after WrestleMania was really superstar shakeup territory, and we were just kind of figuring out what these rosters were going to look like at all. It's crucial that we're now three weeks, three Raws. This is the third Raw since WrestleMania. And I think it's crucial that storylines start to be built now. Now we've got some semblance of permanence to the rosters of Raw and SmackDown. So now let's figure out why we're tuning in. What rivalries are we here to see? Uh, so I was happy that the WWE decided to uh, move in that direction and go forward with that, you know, and really my story number two was Kevin Owens, you know, and I actually think that this Kevin Owens thing was done great. As I was sitting there watching, I was going, you know, first I, I said, it's weird because I figured Kevin Owens might just be a one-week deal and that maybe this week they'd pick somebody else or this week they'd just do Xavier and Kofi for a while. But when I saw him again with the New Day, I said, huh, I wonder if they're doing this full-time because, you know, I said on one of the kickoff shows, I think when I was talking to AJ Styles, 
what is the deal with Kevin Owens? Is he a liar or is he a hypocrite? Because he has not explained why he came back from his injury with this new attitude. Now, we found out he is a liar. The true nature of Kevin Owens was put on display on SmackDown when he turned on Kofi Kingston. I don't think he did it too soon. I don't think he did it too quickly. Look, I mean, we all uh, romanticize the idea of having five-month-long storylines told out over time. However, the last, I mean, it, it, it's difficult to place the timing of that. I, the last time that happened was the Festival of Friendship, and the culmination of the Festival of Friendship was the segment, the Festival of Friendship segment when Kevin Owens turned on Chris Jericho. And it never got better than that. To me, I don't think the Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens story ever got better than Kevin Owens turning on Chris Jericho, which includes the blow off and the payoff to that whole story. Um, I think if you extend the Kofi Kingston thing any longer, you run the risk of falling into a position like that where you had the best of intentions, but, you know, all of a sudden momentum starts to get lost and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and that has nothing to do with Kevin Owens or Kofi Kingston. That has to do with the intent, with the attention spans of the WWE universe in 2019. Attention spans have changed. You know, the way we watch entertainment has changed. The way we get locked into stuff has changed. I think that you know, and and Kofi needs an opponent. I think to put Kofi in a rivalry with somebody else, with Kevin by his side, only for Kevin to turn on Kofi after that rivalry, it, it makes everything too drawn out and convoluted. I like the idea of Kevin turning on Kofi and Xavier, you know, giving Xavier that powerbomb. And who knows? The way Xavier was selling that powerbomb on the apron, maybe this will be the end of Xavier Woods for a little while. You know, maybe... And I wouldn't I wouldn't be against that if Xavier Woods just steps out, maybe even for just a few weeks, maybe just leading up to Money in the Bank, there's no Xavier Woods. So really the spotlight is fully on Kofi Kingston. Really, that the story, the spotlight that is being shined is on the WWE champion, and Kofi Kingston gets put in a position where he's got to sink or swim. He's got to hang on to that spotlight without any of the stuff going on behind him. Um, I think that could be good for Kofi, and it could remind fans, if it works, that he's the champion and what a what a big deal he really is. Uh, you know, I think that it, we will obviously see Kevin Owens versus Kofi Kingston at Money in the Bank which I think is phenomenal. Um, the Money in the Bank card uh, is quickly starting to flush out, as I said at the beginning of this topic. You know, you've got Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, which I think is awesome. I th here's why I think it's great. I think on SmackDown for the last couple months, AJ Styles has been in a holding pattern. I think AJ Styles has not been doing anything of note. Um, he's going. He was going out there, and he was just playing the hits, as I've said before. You know, he wasn't anywhere near the conversation of WWE Championship. And he was going out there and he was counting on his reliable moves. And he was doing the same thing that he's been doing for a long time. Now, going over to Raw, I think, is a huge refresher that he needs. And I think it's going to remind everybody how good he can be. And for him to step in there with Seth Rollins, I think that it's a... Uh, it's a good chance for Seth Rollins to have a real credible opponent for that Universal Championship. And if I were him, you know, I'd wait probably until Money in the Bank, but, you know, I'd extend this story by having AJ Styles turn heel once again. You know, maybe, I guess Finn Balor's on SmackDown now, and I think the Good Brothers are on SmackDown too. But, you know, I don't know, because the thing about 
having a good guy universal champion in Seth Rollins is it kind of makes it so that how is AJ Styles going to be that good guy? Well, maybe he's not. So maybe that means we make him the best bad guy. I don't know. But I like the idea that that match is happening. I think it's going to be a brilliant match. Uh, who else do you have? Of course, you've got uh, Roman Reigns versus Elias. I think perfect spot for both of those guys right now. And then you got Becky two belts defending both belts. You've got Becky versus Charlotte and Becky versus Lacey. Now, this is almost what I said I wanted to happen when I saw that SmackDown was building a separate rivalry with Becky uh, and somebody else, whether it be uh, Charlotte or uh, Bailey or Ember or whoever it was going to be. I got very, very excited. Um, I don't think that she can defend both titles on every pay-per-view. I just don't think it's realistic. And I think that there may be some fatigue setting in uh, for Becky Lynch. You know, I, I think that people would rather see one great Becky Lynch match than two Becky Lynch matches that are, you know, maybe they're great, maybe they're not. Uh, but, you know, I'm willing to see how it feels for this first pay-per-view. I just would have preferred that we do Money in the Bank, Becky versus Lacey, and then whatever the next pay-per-view is in June, Charlotte versus Becky for the SmackDown title. And only one of the two titles is defended at each pay-per-view. But, uh, you know, still paints Becky as the underdog, still works for me. Not something that I'm mad at. Now, uh, we found out that next week, we're going to find out who's in uh, the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, so, I think that the women's Money in the Bank ladder match is the match that Sasha Banks should return for. I think they should not announce it. You know, and I think Sasha Banks should turn heel. You know, and play into this uh, person who's just disagreeable. You know, play into this person that uh, Corey Graves... Describes on commentary. I think that you do, uh, uh, you announce your eight people, maybe over on Raw, You and this is literally off the top of my head. Maybe I should look at the uh, roster lineup really quick. Um, for Raw, I think obviously you do Naomi. Uh, let me see who's on which roster now that the split has happened. But I think no doubt you do uh, Naomi. I think that, Naomi should be in it. Obviously, uh, Becky and Charlotte and uh, Lacey have all found themselves out of this match because, you know, it's it's uh, they're in championship matches already. Um, if Alexa Bliss is healthy, I think it would be cool for Alexa Bliss to announce herself in the match. Um, I think you put... Yeah, here's what I would do. I would put Dana Brooke in the match, believe it or not. I know, based on what I was saying before. And probably either Natalia or Ruby Riot. Probably Ruby Riot. So from Raw, I would have... You know what? I'm going to say Alexa Bliss is not in it, just for argument's sake. And I'm going to have uh, Naomi, Dana Brooke. Yeah, Naomi, Dana Brooke, Natalia, and Ruby Riot. But what I'm going to have is Sasha Banks jump Dana Brooke before the match at the pay-per-view and enter herself in the match and actually win the whole thing probably. That's that's what I would have to do. But I would, yeah, I would announce Dana Brooke and I would, I would tell the story that they've been telling with Dana Brooke about how, you know, she's underestimated and she's really trying hard and blah, blah, blah. And then have, you know, Sasha Banks come out and spoil the whole thing. And then from SmackDown... Um, 
I think Bailey's got to be in it based on what we saw from her this week. Uh, I kind of think that Charlotte should be in I mean, not Charlotte. Uh, Carmella should be in it based on the fact that she's won it before and she won that battle royal. I think you put Liv Morgan in it because you could end up with some interesting interaction between Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot, you know, two former teammates. And then you kind of have to put Mandy Rose in it, don't you? Right? I, I almost want to take out Carmella and put in somebody else, but I'll probably stick with that. Uh, as far as the men's Money in the Bank ladder match, I'm probably putting in Alistair Black. I'm probably putting in Andrade. Elias already has a match at the pay-per-view. Kevin Owens, I think, will get the uh, uh, title match at the show. Roman Reigns already has a match. Um, I'm looking only at the SmackDown side at the moment. Uh, probably not Xavier Woods. Although, no, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave him injured. So I've got Aleister Black, Andrade. Yeah, Elias has already spoken for. Um, Ali, of course. <laughs> You're just looking at the top of the page. Aleister Black, Andrade, Ali, and uh, I'm going to round it out. You know what? I'm going to round it out with Buddy Murphy. Andrade, Aleister Black, Ali, Buddy Murphy, and then over on the Raw side, uh, I'm going to put in, let's see, for the Raw uh, for the raw side, you pick four for the Money in the Bank ladder match. So to join Andrade, Alistair, Ali, and Buddy Murphy, I'm going to try to do something that alphabetically isn't quite so on the nose, but we'll see. Uh, AJ Styles already had, I'm putting in Baron Corbin. I'm putting in, I don't, I'm not going to put in Braun Strowman to tell you the truth. I'm putting in Baron Corbin, Cesaro, Drew McIntyre, and then I'll probably round that out with, you know, normally I would say Ricochet. Ricochet's got to be in the match. I mean, how does Ricochet not be in that ladder match? So maybe instead of... Maybe instead of Drew McIntyre, I put in Robert Roode. Maybe I do Baron Corbin, Ricochet, Robert Roode, and Baron Corbin, Ricochet, Robert Roode, and Cesaro. It's probably who i put in on the Raw side, just to keep things interesting. Uh, let's move on to story number one. And that is The Shield. It was cool to have some non-pay-per-view Sunday night wrestling uh, over the weekend. Uh, I tuned in for the hour and a half special. They basically played the tail end of a live event. It was Dean Ambrose's last show in WWE. It was The Shield's last ride together. Uh, Michael Cole did a pretty tremendous interview with The Shield uh, before the show that was up on WWE's YouTube channel in which Dean Ambrose just cut a flamer of a promo on Michael Cole at the end of it, and then walked out, um, which was awesome. And then, uh, and then we saw the special. It was uh, started with Finn Balor versus Elias, and then there was a women's tag match, and then there was the Shield six man tag, and that was that. Uh, I loved uh, the old school feel of it. I loved that it uh, felt like a house show. The commentary table, which they were making reference to, was pushed up on the apron. I love that Michael Cole was asking Renee Young kind of personal questions about Dean Ambrose and acknowledging that they were married. Um, I just thought it was great. And and I thought about why The Shield 
is such a great faction because you could argue, you know, they make this case that the Shield is one of the greatest factions in the history of wrestling. Um, but why, you know? I mean, realistically, they were only around for a few years. All Some of these other factions have been around for decades, right? But when you look at the Shield, there are so few factions. Like the original Four Horsemen. The reason the original Four Horsemen were so special is because Arn and Ole Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Ric Flair, all stars in their own right. All could hold titles on their own right. If you split up the Four Horsemen, you would have no weak links. All would be able to survive. All would be able to prosper. All would be at the top of their game. But there aren't that many other factions that you could say that about all the members of. And the Shield is one of them. The Shield, like the Horsemen, acted as a unit. And when they were split up, all of them went on to win WWE championships. All of them went on to be the top of their rosters. You know, there, there's no Roman Reigns, the company guy. Seth Rollins got Brock Lesnar's victory. I mean, he was also one of the top bad guys for a long time. And really, I mean, I thought Seth Rollins was one of the best bad guys in a long time. Um, and then Dean Ambrose was just the king of SmackDown for that period of time. So I, I think that the fact that you can separate them and there's such an amazing trio individually, and then you bring them together and they're only stronger. And as they grow in their careers and as they mature as performers, the group also matures. They don't, they're not outgrowing each other. They're all growing at this same pace individually, and it makes it so that they're amazing together. They separate, they're amazing separately. They come back together, they're amazing, even more so. Then they separate again. They grow even more. Then they come back together. They're the best they've ever been. It just keeps going and going and going. And I personally hope that this is not the last of the Shield that we've seen. I would recommend checking out uh, the Shield's Last Ride or whatever it's called uh, on the WWE Network uh, just because it's so great when they put these specials on. But that's what makes the Shield so spectacular to me is that they work completely as a unit. It's not defined who their leader is when they're together. When they're separated, all three individuals, every member of that group is a main event level star. And that, that is the rare thing, my friend. That is the rare thing. Listen, I appreciate all you guys being here. Real quick before we go, don't forget, there's good news. The number of collisions involving a, a train at a railway crossing is down 83% from its peak in the 1970s. Here's the bad news. There are still more than 2,000 incidents a year. Lesson? Stop, because trains can't. Appreciate you guys being here. We will see you next week for more Not Sam Wrestling. Let's hit the music. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.